You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning. Welcome to the last week of Choose Your Mood. Before we jump into the teaching, I want to tell you a little bit about something that happened last week. We had our Cross the Line run. Some of you were a part of that, some of you walked, some of you ran, some of you gave, and I wanted to give you a little update because last week, some of you walked, ran, and gave. We are now able to drill three new wells in northern Bangladesh in the Rohingya refugee camp. That's awesome, friends. I want to say thank you, One Church TO online and here in this room. Uh, that means that there's over hundreds of thousands of people who have been displaced from Myanmar in northern uh, Bangladesh in the Rohingya refugee camp. I've been there. I've shown you a picture of the well. Uh, that's a well. I, I took a picture of one of the wells our church has actually put in there, bringing clean water to people that are in need. So because you did that, I want to say thank you to Pastor Dan and the team that organized this great run. It was an amazing event. Now, as I mentioned though, last year, there was a little bit of controversy around this event in that uh, some people walk it and it's just a pleasurable five kilometers. Other people race it. And there's a little controversy about who, who wins. And last year, you'll remember, often, for years now, a young man in our church, his name's Ethan Apadurai, he's, he's won many times. But then I showed up. <laughs> and you know, it's been a bit of a contest uh, between Ethan and I over the last couple of years. And last year, it was controversial because I showed you footage of of me leading the race. This was last year's race. You see me out in front with a baseball cap, and there's Ethan on the left. See who's ahead? I just, you, you can see that, right? And the controversy was we, we lost all the other footage. So we don't have footage how it ended. And so, you know, there's some people that claim that Ethan won last year, and, but there's a silent minority that maybe thinks it's me. And because you look at the evidence, and I was, a, I was ahead, right? So this year, you could feel the emotional tension. But I learned, Pastor Keith gave me the ABCs. I, I, I acknowledged the emotional tension. I, I broke it down, and then I chose a different emotion, a winning emotion. And so when I showed up in the race, it didn't quite start the way I wanted. And we have footage of, of the race starting. I actually got out a couple of steps ahead, and then Ethan just whizzed by me. He's in the lead there, and that lead would open up. But, you know, he's younger. He's younger than me. So I know it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, right? And so over time, you notice we have video evidence of him slowing down. Look, look, he's barely moving there, barely moving. Whereas I found my speed, I actually began to, look at me. I was going extra fast, actually. I just found my second win and I was getting, and then, then to top it all off, this is how the race ended right here for me. Uh, look, 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 number one, right? Now, some people saw the footage in the previous gatherings and they're like, looks like you tampered with it. Maybe you fixed it to make it look like you won. So I have evidence of actually getting the first place medal. You'll see a picture here of me with the other winners. And I'm there on the left with the glasses and clearly wearing the first place uh, medal. So, you know, Ethan, uh, too bad, so sad. You know, we live in a world and culture where it's hard to know what's true and what's fake now, isn't it? Uh, okay, so Ethan won. Big deal. So I wasn't in the top three, top 10, top 15, but big deal. <laughs> I, you know, we live in this culture where it's hard to even know if the facts are true. Because facts, even though they might be factual, 
Uh, they're used, they're nuanced, uh, they're shared in portions to help someone's ideology or their political agenda or whatever. So they share what they want to share, but they don't share the whole picture. And we're kind of sometimes left with the burden of feeling like, what do I even believe now? And then as we've learned over the course of this series, emotions are sometimes that we can't trust even our own emotions. Because sometimes our own emotions, they lie to us because we're broken people and this world is a broken world. But we have learned this, that emotions are critically important. God made us to be emotive people. Emotive people who express their emotions. Facts and feelings both matter. Now, I grew up in a church that was big on emotion, low, low on maybe the, the, the thinking side. And I used to, maybe I, 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 I was challenged in my faith because I felt like you had to check your brain at the door in order to journey in that, that community. And that bothered me and it was very difficult for me for a long season. I love being a part of a church community where you can take your brain with you and you can ask the hard questions because that's part of the faith journey. But I have noticed over the years that people who lean more facts, sometimes they check their emotions at the door. So they come into an emotive moment or a worship gathering and they have trouble participating because they're uncomfortable with emotion. Friends, God made you to be both emotional and rational. They're not in conflict with each other. They're both necessary to have this healthy relationship with God. So I want to explore a little bit, as we learned in week one from Pastor Keith, is it's not helpful to bury your emotions and it's not helpful to have your emotions rule you. I want to talk to you, though, about how do you express your emotions in a way that you can have some healthy outcomes in life? Because everyone expresses emotion, whether you think you do or not. And we usually, we can have destructive outcomes or healthy outcomes. I want to help you see healthy outcomes. And the Bible gives us many illustrations of people who did it well and people who didn't do it well. And here's the two words that are key to understanding. How do you express your emotions to those that are closest to you, those that are in your proximity, in a way that will produce health? And there's two words I want you to remember when you lead this gathering. Tone and timing. So can you say it with me? Tone and timing. Let's talk about tone. Tone is the way, tone is how our emotions are experienced by others. So it's not that our emotion, we might think we're emoting one thing, but the real question is, what do people feel like on the other side of your emotions? Because for healthy outcomes, when we express our emotions, what does matter, and you'll see this in a moment, it matters how others are experiencing our emotions coming at them. So the Bible has all kinds of things. There's this great wise book called the Book of Proverbs, and it's filled with wise sayings. But this helps illustrate a little bit of how this is. Because the way we say things, the way we emote things, actually has outcomes. So the Bible says this, a gentle answer, your tone, a gentle answer, gentle being the emotion there, deflects anger. That's a good outcome. So the way you express your emotion could have a good outcome, but harsh words tough uh, a tone, makes tempers flare, destructive outcome. In other words, how we emote has an ability to determine the outcomes, whether it's healthy and, 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 uh, and good or whether it's destructive and it tears down. So I want to take a little bit and talk about tone. So the emotion I'm going to hang on, but you could put any one of your emotions when we talk about tone. But the one I want to talk about is the one we most associate with tone. Um, have you ever had a parent say, don't take that tone with me? Anger. 
Anger is one of those emotions that we most associate with tone in this world. And I want to take a minute and talk about what that looks like. The Apostle Paul talks about it. The Bible talks a lot about anger. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He said, go ahead and be angry. Have you had someone say that to you? Often it's like, don't be angry. But actually, there's some things that God, the redemptive part of anger, every emotion has this redemptive part before sin came in and toxified it and made good things destructive things. Anger has a purpose. Anger can provoke you to action. So when you see injustice in this world, when you see racism, when you see social injustice, when you see systemic poverty, and it angers you, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. If it angers you towards action to change something. Anger can be a good thing too if it provokes you. If you're a timid person and somebody's infringing on your boundaries and, and you get angry and it causes you to stand up for yourself, there can be some good things with anger. But Paul warns us, he goes on to say, uh, you do well to be angry in the right place, in the right way, but don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge. So if you're provoked to anger about some of the things in culture and society or in others, that maybe you could bring action to change in it, but be careful, don't turn it into revenge though. And then he goes on to say, and don't stay angry. This is really important. You and I weren't designed to carry angry, anger very long. Anger was an emotion that is meant to provoke an action and then let go of. Because when you harbor anger, toxic things happen. So many of the things in the Bible have negative connotations next to anger. And there's a reason why. Anger is very, very powerful. And we get illustrations of people who do not handle their anger really well in the Bible. So you go back to the very beginning of the Bible and you meet the first person that we see expressing anger in a way that came out with negative and destructive outcomes. His name was Cain. Cain gets angry, and he has a brother named Abel. And if you have read the Bible, you kind of maybe have heard this story before. Cain actually kills his brother Abel. Now, what's interesting is, why was Cain angry? Cain felt rejected. He felt rejected by God, by others, and it brewed in him. And finally, it came out as anger. And that anger took him to a place where he did something he probably thought he'd never do at an earlier stage in his life. He took not just another man's life, he took his own brother's life. See, anger kind of piggybacks on a lot of other emotions that we do have, and it has a way of kind of pushing the nuclear button. It takes an emotion like rejection, which is painful and hard, and it will kind of intensify it to an action point where something bad could happen. You can look at another character in the Bible. His name was King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. And he's doing great. He's grand. He's big. He's on top. But then there's this young upstart named David. And David comes along and he does incredible things. And it all starts with the seed of jealousy in Saul. He's jealous. Good looking, young guy. He's a poet. He's a musician and a warrior. Triple threat. And here he is, and he's an upstart, and this jealousy turns into anger and rage. And then he finds himself, his agenda is not running the country, it's chasing this young guy around Israel, trying to kill him, trying to kill him. Oh, no, no, you're sitting here or online, you're saying, well, Jonathan, I'm not, I'm not looking to kill anyone. Okay, 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 okay. Let's talk about Jonah, the prophet. Jonah, the prophet, he gets so angry, and you know why he's angry? Because God asked him to do something he didn't want to do. 
And he didn't want to do it. He got so angry, he tried to leave as far as away as he could from what God wanted him to do. Have you been there? I mean, I love the version of God that helps me. The version of God that comes alongside me. The version of God that gives to me. But when God asks something of me that I didn't particularly want to do, all of a sudden I feel like making some distance between me and God. Not you? Okay. What about King Herod in the New Testament? This guy was, this guy was an interesting guy. He, he, he said, like some people that have power, he was very insecure. And all of a sudden someone comes along and says, hey, there's a new king born, a new Messiah. He's been born in Bethlehem. And he, whoa, he's, out of his insecurity comes incredible rage and anger. And what does it result in? He begins to kill young children. Anyone that might fit the profile that could potentially contend for the throne because he's power hungry. Anger is a vehicle for many emotions that moves you to places of action that is often and painfully destructive. Anger breaks relationships. Anger justifies us not forgiving others. Anger justifies us not reconciling with others. See, there's a lot of anger in this world right now, and it's polarizing. And it's destructive in ways. And here's the thing. Anger's not a bad emotion because I understand some of the anger in this world, don't you? There's some things that are getting addressed that have been ignored for too long. There are some issues directed at, at genders or cultures or societies that are unjust, unjust, and they need to be addressed. So anger can be good when it provokes a culture towards change. But anger gets more difficult when it leads to when it fuels some darker things in our lives. And that's why we can't carry anger. Anger's for a moment, anger's for a season. So I wanna look at anger to help us understand tone and timing. And the person I wanna look at is the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus, interesting in the gospels, there are many recorded moments of Jesus getting angry. Many moments, but there's a famous one of which if you've read the gospels, you, your mind probably goes right there. In three of the Gospels, it records a moment where Jesus gets angry. He goes into the temple gates. This is in the week before he dies. He goes into the temple gates, and he begins to drive out the money changers. He drives out the people that are selling animals for sacrifices there. He drives them out, and he says, my, this is my father's house. This will be a house of prayer, and, and there's anger. There's righteous indignation in Jesus, and he's angry in this moment. And what's fascinating in the moment is he's angry, but his tone, his tone is fascinating. See, we all have a tone to our emotions. Uh, Jesus did too. When you look at the life of Jesus, he wasn't known for his anger. Even when we talk about Jesus being angry, it's an unfamiliar, even sometimes uncomfortable emotion to equate with the person of Jesus. We know that Jesus was actually known as a person of love. Jesus was known as a person who was incredibly patient with the people in his life. This was not a pattern, this was an exception in his life. It wasn't a pattern of anger, it was an exception of anger, very important fact. But let me ask you a question. What are you emotionally known for? What are you emotionally, I mean, those who know you best, what are you emotionally known for? Because that reveals a little bit of a pattern in your life that really points to what may control you in life. Anger is such a difficult thing to carry and to carry in a way that where we don't sin because anger 
Anger is that type of thing in our life that blinds us and can control us. Here's the fact about anger and the pattern in our lives. The pattern of the person reveals the tone of the person. If you have a pattern of getting angry a lot, likely anger controls a lot of your sub-narrative in your life. If, the, if there's a pattern, it's probably in your tone then. It's probably going to be expressed in the way you deal with things in life, if there's a pattern of anger. It doesn't matter what it is in our lives. What is the pattern of your life? What are you emotionally known for? Because sin, I loved it. If you weren't here last week, you really need to go back and listen to the message. Uh, Bruxy Cavey spoke, and it was just a fantastic message on the gospel and the centrality of Jesus. But he talked about sin for a moment, where sin takes something that's good and it distorts it so it becomes destructive. So whether it's anger, you put anger in there, and anger can be good when it provokes us to move to change and change injustices in this world, but it becomes something toxic and destructive when sin gets in there. Love. Who doesn't like love? But love can turn into lust before you know it. When it's all of a sudden submitted to destructive patterns in our life. Well, Jesus was not a man easily angered. So I'm always interested when I see a pattern in somebody's life And then you see an anomaly. Something sparked him to be angry in this moment. And it's all found in the tone of how he expressed the anger. So here's the first tone. You can see in Jesus' anger as he enters into the temple courts and he sends all the money changers out and all the people that are selling animals. Jesus' anger was not motivated for him. It was motivated for them. He wasn't angry because he was going to get something off his chest. I mean, he's been dealing with all these religious leaders. He goes into the temple and he's just like, you know what? I need to vent. I just want to get some things off my chest. It wasn't for him. It wasn't because he had a need that day. He's been taking it, taking it, taking it on the chin. And finally he's had it. And I need to get this off my... It wasn't for him. When he went into the temple thing, it was for them. And by them, I mean... Not just the people in the crowds, but even the money changers themselves. See, Jesus is angry for them. Here's what was going on. In that time, there was a festival. People are coming from all over Israel, all over the world at that time, for a great festival there. And like many festivals, people travel light, and they get there, and they buy their stuff. So you needed to change your money if you're going to worship in the temple. Because all of the Roman currency that time had an insignia of Caesar on it. And in a Jewish culture, that would be idolatry. So in order to be able to give an offering or anything in the temple, you needed to exchange your Roman coins for temple coins. Well, what had happened was they knew all these new people are coming around. There's a small, there's a large demand and there's, there's one kiosk in town. And so all of a sudden the prices were going exorbitantly higher. They were making a great profit off of the people that were traveling there to worship. And this meant that those that were marginally less rich, less able to, were getting squeezed out of worship. And the animals were there for sacrificial, uh, there was for sacrifices. And in that culture, in that day and time, if you were traveling great distances, you didn't bring your animals with you because if they were injured on the route, they would become unclean for the sacrifice. So you would purchase them when you arrived there. Well, when again, demand was here, (laughs) and all of a sudden, the kiosk is there, and the prices were going incredibly high. So Jesus is angry. It's not because they're doing business there. 
That was a great service to the worshipers. That was helpful to them. Sometimes I've heard this text taught, and it's about, should you sell things in the lobby? It's the furthest thing from what it was even about. That's not why Jesus was angry at all. He's angry that people are creating a barrier to some people being able to worship God. They were turning this into a profit center. They were turning it into something they were going to gain money from and stuff. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he's angry for them. And he's going to end it in that moment. See, when, when we read in Ephesians chapter 4, 26, when he said, go ahead, be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as a fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. And he goes on to say this. Don't go to bed angry. Best marital advice ever. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Woo. Paul, what do you mean? Well, when you hold on to anger, not when you experience anger, anger can be a good thing, but when you hold on to anger, you're surrendering space in your life to, to a being that wishes harm for you. You are surrendering and making room for an adversary to not just disturb your life, but, but he has a mandate to destroy your life. Anger is that powerful, it gives a foothold to the enemy to be at work in your circles of relationship and even primarily in your relationship with God himself. Jesus is able to be angry and be motivated for others and not for himself because he didn't have unresolved conflicts. See, we sin, and it's interesting, and go, go back to the verse, if you would, the first verse. When it says, don't stay angry, it, in one of the older versions of the scripture, it says, in your anger, do not, do not sin. In your anger, you're going to have angry moments, do not sin. See, sometimes when we sin in anger, we, we do things that are hurting us with anger when we carry around unresolved conflicts. You collect all kinds of wounds over the course of time. This is why sometimes you get to that moment. Have you ever had this moment where you vent it and you vented on somebody around you and it wasn't really primarily even about them and you felt better in that moment but then you got in the car and you're driving away and you start feeling guilty in that moment? <laughs> like I just unloaded on someone that it wasn't even really about them. Oh, I'm talking to the 9.30 a.m. crowd, not you guys. But, but sometimes that happens to some people in life because you're not meant to carry it around. Sometimes we carry around a lot of anger because we lack the skills, the language, and the courage to resolve conflicts as we go through life. Nobody taught us how to resolve things. People taught us how to fight things. So we don't know how to resolve them and we carry around the wounds and eventually they come out as a form of anger. Just, just 30 seconds, I wanna to talk to the guys in the room. Anger is an incredible secondary emotion. You remember, I went through Cain and, and Saul, and it was jealousy and rejection, and it turned into anger. Anger is often a secondary emotion. Uh, statistically, men lack a lot of emotional language to deal with the things that they're feeling in life. So sometimes what happens is we'll feel sad, but we don't know how to process being sad, so we get mad. We feel hurt, or we feel very lonely, and we're not sure how we deal with loneliness or hurt, and so what we do is we get angry. It's a secondary emotion. That's why sometimes you could go to something like anger or management, but they're going to tell you what is provoking you to anger might not be, you think it's about controlling your temper, and that's why you can't control your temper. It might be healing that you need. 
It might mean doing some work on the inner circle, the inner part of your life. And anger is merely a symptom of something that's broken. So Jesus is able to handle anger because he's not carrying around unresolved conflict. He's not carrying around these things. His anger is focused on helping others. There's another aspect of the tone of Jesus with his anger. Jesus' anger was not motivated for his gain, or, but for our gain. So it wasn't, even about, it wasn't about his needs, but it wasn't about his need to control either. Sometimes we get angry, and if we're honest, it's about, it's about our gain. We, we use anger or we use other emotions to control people. To control the people around us. We use anger or other emotions to somehow get noticed or to take revenge. We act out. You know, you know you've ever noticed it in children? Children act out sometimes. And often why they're acting out is to get noticed. Because maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe they're under great stress and they don't know what to say. They don't know how to deal with it. And so they act out in anger so why? Because someone at least pay attention to them. And some of us, we grow up and we keep that pattern going. Uh, when Shelly and I got married, 26 years ago this summer, man, long time. When we got married, we had, there was nothing but fireworks. Not the romantic kind. I wish that, well, I, I, that's, my, that's what I thought when you got married, but it was going to be nonstop fireworks of romance. And, but it was conflict for us, actually, because we were so different from each other. And it was conflict that kept coming. And I realized quickly, we both did, that we came from two different emotional cultures. We were a similar cultural background, but we had two completely different emotional cultures. And your emotional culture is formed from your family of origin, it's formed from the, the wounds or the, even your personality and temperament, and it makes your emotional climate. So we got married, and anger looked different for both of us. For her, I would describe Shelley as expressively aggressive. <laughs> and I was passively aggressive. Here's, here's what, usually one over the other. So Shelley would be angry. I knew. I knew when Shelley was angry. And here's the problem with my passive-aggressive anger. On the surface, I looked like the one in control. And I used that. I weaponized that. She's angry, and she's expressing it, and I'm like, calm down. Hey, you know, let's talk. You don't see me getting upset. And meanwhile, beneath the waters, I'm very upset. And when you're passive-aggressive, and I can say this because I've experienced this, when you are passive-aggressive with your anger, you know how to push the buttons of the expressive-aggressive person in a way that gets them reacting so that you're off the hook. Hey, look, look, I'm the mature one here. You are clearly out of control. You need, you need, no, 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 no. You need the counseling. No, 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 no. Look, look I, I'm okay. Look, did anything wrong here? And it's, it's dangerous. So I just think to those of us who control the surface of the water a little bit better? Be careful. Be loving. Don't take advantage of the naturally expressive around us. You have to be careful that way. That's just your five cents of extra advice as we head through this. <laughs> Here's the problem was, when we were, we were angry because we were both trying to control each other. We were insecure, we were young, we, uh, life was really tough at that time. I won't get into that, but we were going through a lot of things. Shelly did not want to be controlled by me. 
I was not going to be controlled by her. We wanted stuff from each other. We didn't want stuff for each other. It was a lot of immaturity that propelled our anger. And it was all around our emotional culture. Every church has an emotional culture. Every business has an emotional culture. Every family has an emotional culture. And your emotional culture frames your emotional tone. This is why there's a lot of conflict at times. Because we don't take the time to understand each other. Friends, I, I, I think about this. When I was married too, uh, early on, I realized how I expressed my emotions didn't always translate to Shelley. So I feel like, yeah, of course I love you. But I'm loving her in ways that I want to be loved. And the question wasn't, do you love me, Shelley? I learned this from a, someone who's older than me that helped me along the way. And I've asked Shelley this question fairly consistently, and it changed the tone of our relationship. Instead of, do you love me, I asked, do you feel loved by me? Because am I doing things that actually make you feel loved? And occasionally, she's paused and said, no. <laughs> to which I say, you're wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> You know, it'll be this, I don't see you much these days. You're working all the time. And when you come home, you don't want to talk. You want to kind of just watch a show or play a video game or do something else. And I, I don't feel that love. And I realize, okay, the rhythm of our life is working against what I love most in life. So what needs to change? The rhythm of my life. Listening is so important to understanding how people are feeling, which is so important to being able to set the tone, to set the tone. So a good emotional tone doesn't express emotions in order to manipulate people. So you don't use guilt. You don't even use love to manipulate people. Some people give you lots of love, but there's strings attached. No, no, no. That's not how God operates. No strings attached love. That's how you want healthy outcomes. You emote or express your emotions without the intention of and with the right motivation, without the intention of manipulating. A good emotional tone is when we express our emotions not to get something from something, but to give something to somebody. Not to get something from someone, but to give something to someone. Uh, men can be loving and charming to get something. Women can be sweet and loving to get something. We don't do these things to get, we do them to give. It changes the emotional rhythm, and that's the tone Jesus sets consistently, no matter what the emotion is. We don't have a good emotional tone when we're, when we're expressing our emotions uh, just to manipulate or to extract from other people. We have in them or to hurt or inflict pain. Some people use their emotions psychologically to wound people around them to keep them in their place. Our friends, don't be thinking of anyone else. That's the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate that to us, if that's us. Be careful how you use emotions. Your emotional tone matters. The second thing that Jesus, we learn from Jesus is that not only tone matters, timing matters. Timing matters. Look at this verse from Romans. The Apostle Paul says this, laugh with your friends, laugh with your happy friends when timing, they are happy, right? He says this, share tears when, timing, they're down. Timing has to do with picking the right spot, 
But timing also has to do with entering the right spot. And I'll mention this in a moment. I'll come to this in a moment. But I'm going to show you a little video clip, video clip, and I want you to emote. I want you to express your emotions according to what you see. Because I'm going to ask you after, what did you feel in this moment? So be prepared to feel something. Are you ready to feel something? Let me set the context. Game seven. Seconds on the clock. Tied game. Last game in the series. Philadelphia and this. It's off the Leonard. Defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Okay, count the bounces with me here. How many times does it bounce on the rim? One, two, three, four, boom! Okay, how do you feel? You know, it's an appropriate emotional feeling. I meet people all over Toronto, even in the church community. And I met one woman from our church uh, downtown yesterday with my wife, Shelly. I think it was yesterday, the day before. And she's... Loving the Raptors. She said, I don't understand anything about basketball. And she doesn't want to, but she's caught up like the rest of us in the emotion of the event that's going on right now. And it's a natural expression of what's going on in our city right now. Now, if you're in that event and you're like this, well, you're a Sixers fan. Because if you're a Toronto fan, you can't help but emote that emotion. It's an appropriate time for what's going on in that place. So I want to take you to a place where Jesus is at an event, but it's different than this event. It's a funeral in John chapter 11, and it's a masterpiece on how to express emotions with healthy outcomes. Just a masterpiece. Here's how it goes. It's a funeral for his best friend, Lazarus. He shows up late. Lazarus is dead. He's already buried. And all of a sudden, he has two sisters, Lazarus, Mary and Martha. This is not Mary, Jesus' mother. This is Mary and Martha. They're two different women in Scripture. It says this, Mary arrived and saw Jesus. She fell at his feet and said, you're going to feel some emotion here, a little bit of anger. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. goes on to say, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep what is this? Anger. You know when you grieve? This is not an unnatural response. It's not all tears. Sometimes anger gets mixed up in it too. But a, a deep anger welled up within Jesus and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. There's so much emotion here. Anger and sorrow and feeling troubled and weighed down, but it reveals so much about tone and timing. It's a fantastic story. You can see the tone right away when it says what, that Jesus was deeply angered. Why was he angered? Was he angry at them? Uh, no. He wasn't angry at them. He was angry for them. See, death and sin had taken and hurt people he loved. And he never created this world to be that way. And when you see these provocations of anger, 
You know that Jesus is setting, this is the week, but this is leading up to the crucifixion. He's almost ready to lay down his life. And that anger, that provocation is moving him towards action. He's really, he's angered because he's saying, this will end. This thing called, ang- this thing called death and sin that hurts people, I'm going to end that. I am going to end that forever. That, that day's coming. There's an anger, that provocation of the brokenness that he's seeing around him. And he says, okay, enough. But then he enters in, and this is the one that I found very troubling in many ways. He's troubled and he cries. He cries at the funeral. And why is he crying at the funeral? And listen, this is a great message for sometimes us as men, guys. We struggle with those emotional, on that emotional continuum. And I realize some of that's personality driven. That's okay. I'm not making this about you specifically, but our Lord and Savior, the strongest man I've ever read about, heard, who can turn the other cheek to his enemy, who can love his enemies, what strength this man has, but he's not afraid to admit emotion in that moment. But the thing I find troubling is he knows what he's come to do. Jesus knew why he delayed coming was Lazarus had to die. Why? Because he was going to show them a foretaste of what was coming in the next life. He was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. He was going to turn a funeral into a raptor party. It was going to be the Jurassic Park of that first century. It was about to change. And he knows that, but he weeps. Why does he weep? This is a great lesson about timing. Timing is not just picking the right spot. So you cry with those who are crying. You laugh with those who are laughing. Timing is about entering into the spot. Jesus enters into their pain so he can heal them from their pain. You know, uh, when I had my first son, he was just a little guy, you know, I was 25, and a nurse handed it to me and said, well, you're basically good luck. <laughs> and I, I, like, I didn't know what I was going to do with this little thing. But all I knew is he never stopped crying. He wasn't well, uh, colicky. Uh, he cried all the time, all the time. If he wasn't crying, he slept for micro minutes during the day. God forbid he sleep at night when we need sleep. So Shelly and I did a lot of emotive conflict in those days because we had no sleep. But I remember one day in particular, it was really bad. It was probably a week or two into him being in our home, and he's crying. And I, I took him to give Shelly a break. She needed a mental break. Uh, we didn't have family around us that close at that time, and so it was all on her. And I was going to work, and... You can imagine when a baby's crying all the time and you can't do anything about it, what you feel. And that's why I feel for, for moms, we love you and thank you for your strength because it's not easy. And so I've got him and I'm rocking him and nothing I'm doing is working. And it's funny how you remember, I remember how I felt like it was yesterday right now because our emotional memories are very strong. That's why many of us carry emotional wounds too long. Because we're always, we can feel that wound just like it was yesterday. It feels fresh even though there's distance. I remember how I felt. I remember how sad I felt. I couldn't fix him. I remember feeling, uh, I can admit it, I felt feelings of anger. Like, what more can I do for you? We've changed you, we've fed you. What else? What else? I felt anger, I felt sadness, I felt helpless. I could not control the situation. And it hit me, hit me in that very moment. Everything I felt, he was feeling. 
sad, mad, helpless. You know when you enter into somebody else's emotional pain, you can't judge them anymore. Jesus was a master of this. He didn't heal people from a distance. He touched them. He enters in and compassion comes. And when compassion's there, all of a sudden healing comes. I think when it comes to timing in life, it's interesting in the story. Mary and Martha, if you read the account, they're both angry at Jesus. They're angry because they know if he had come, Lazarus, our brother that we love and we thought you loved, <laughs> would not have died. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't defend himself. Jesus doesn't say, listen, you know, get off my back. You know, move away from them. He takes it. He takes it on the chin. Why? Because he knows it's pain speaking. It's not about him. It's their, their anger was about their pain that they were experiencing in that moment. And when, when they are experiencing the sorrow, he enters right into the moment. And he feels the full weight of the hopelessness of the sorrow. That's timing, friends. Tone and timing matter. Timing is not just at the right time, the right place. Timing has to about, means about entering into the place. And if you want to express your emotions with healthy outcomes, you got to do both. It matters what motivates you to express your emotions, and it also matters your timing, picking your spot, and also entering into the spot. So when I was writing this message, I wrote down four questions, and I've asked myself similar questions like this, and I'm going to just throw them to you and see whether or not this finds you where you're at. How many times has someone been hurting, and I don't enter into their pain because I'm so focused on their behavior over their pain. I think about when I was raising boys, this was often the case for me. They're misbehaving and all I want them to do is behave. I don't really care why they're misbehaving. How many people in your life misbehave? And it's a cry for help. And they're hurting and they're lonely or they're confused. But because they misbehave, they give you a reason not to have to deal with them. They give you a reason to move away from them. And I'm not saying people that are destructive towards you. There's a lot of qualifiers I could give for this. But sometimes, friends, when people are misbehaving, making bad choices in your life, instead of walking away, what if you prayed and you walked towards? Uh, how about this one? How many times have my needs, what I need, run roughshod over what other people have been feeling? So I, I, I wanted that word in there because we don't use it enough. So you can go away that word roughshod. How many times have I made it more about me that I'm not able to even feel what other people are feeling around me? It's about meeting my needs. Uh, it's, I can't enter in with the right tone. I can't enter in with the right timing. How about this question? How many times have I wanted to heal people without having to feel people? Oh, guys, this is, this is where I live. You know, where you feel for someone what's going on in their life and so you want to pray for them for a distance because you don't want to get in there it's too much drama. I don't have to get in there and feel all of those feelings and carry some of the pain with them. And I'm not saying you can do that all the time. Every one of us has a bandwidth, and you do well to honor your bandwidth. But I am saying sometimes I wonder if sometimes we don't want, we want to see people do better, but we don't want to be a part of God's healing in their life because we're busy. We have other agendas. Here's the best one for me. This is one I need it over and over. How many times in my weakness 
have I been unable to wait for the right time to deal with something? Because it was more about getting things off my chest than it was about serving someone else. So tone and timing, likely you're better at one than the other. To be honest with you, I think Shelly would say the same to you. Tone is genuinely a strength of mine. I'm not way up or way down. I'm just a pretty consistent person at home, at work. Shall we tell you, over the years, I've had my difference, I've had my emotional swings, but over the years, I'm fairly consistent. Tone is an easier thing for me to manage. Timing is not. Shelly is a master at timing. Let, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, she has had difficult things she's dealing with our boys that were tough at different seasons. And I've gone into a weekend like this, and she's not told me. She's carried it all weekend by herself because she wanted me to have enough emotional energy for you. And then I'll get on Monday and she'll go, hey, by the way, I thought, you, you carry that all weekend? Because I know me. Once I got that, I'd want to get it off me. I'd want to express it right away. Or sometimes, I, I, I apparently we're in a disagreement or argument, but I didn't know I was in it. You ever been there? Where I'd done something, said something, but I didn't know I did something wrong or said something wrong. And Shelly hasn't said anything to me. She's picked the right timing. So sometimes because she knows I'm tired, I just got home, she doesn't lay it on me. She's waiting when I'm available at my best to be able to deal with something. I'm not like that. I'm kind of like, listen, we're going to deal with it now. Let's get it out of the way. Let's move on. Timing is a difficult thing for me. And so I need to ask myself, am I willing to hold on to something because it's not the right time? So friends, timing and tone matter. How do you manage this? You don't do it perfectly. You can't. Only Jesus did it perfectly. But we get our cues from him. If you want to express your emotions with healthy outcomes, here's, here's where I'm going to go. It's not about your willpower. It's not about willing to change. And it's not about uh, uh, somehow changing your thinking around this. The Bible is very clear. And Jesus is very clear. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is preoccupied with the human heart. It's very interesting. More on the, uh, the religious leaders are very interested on the outside and he barely looks at the outside. He always is looking on the inside. In fact, I love this. When he turns to the religious leaders, he's angry at them. They are judging and making it difficult for people around them. And he calls them whitewashed tombs. What he meant by that is, you look all nice on the outside, but inside it's death. Death and judgment. And he, what a, what a statement. When people think Jesus is weak, I think you clearly have not read him. And he is so interested in what's going on in the inside. That made him so different from that culture. In the Greco-Roman culture, there was always a fight between the heart and the mind. In the Greco-Roman culture, the mind needed to rule the heart and the emotions. That was, it was facts over feelings in that culture. Facts over feelings. And some of us who are wired that way are going, amen, that's the way it should be. Because we're in a culture right now, in our modern culture, is the exact opposite. It's feelings over facts. Don't bore me with the facts. This is how I feel. This is true. So what we feel is true. And the Bible says, neither are right. Neither are right. He would say, the Bible would say, and Jesus would say consistently, it's not a conflict between the heart and the mind that you're wrestling with. It's a conflict and a struggle with a power at work trying to divide the direction of your heart. See, if you want control over your emotions, 
And I'm not talking about those who might have medical conditions. I'm talking about those who are dealing with motions that are sometimes out of control or are destructive in nature. If you want to be able to express your emotions with outcomes, it all comes down to your heart. Out of your heart, Jesus would say, your mouth speaks. All the things you wish you could take back, wish you never said, that came from your heart. All the good things you've said, that's come from your heart. All of your emotions come from your heart. Whoever rules your heart controls that outlet. And the problem is, too often, we maintain control. But Jesus is the one who's meant to occupy that place in your life. And when you surrender control to him, you are resourced by his spirit to be able, not perfectly in this world, but to be able to have a tone where your emotions are being expressed to serve others, not to get from them. You're able to have a timing where you're able to enter into their pain with them, to pick your spot and enter that spot and be a part of God's healing in their life. The only way you can do that is by having your heart healed. I'm going to invite our, uh, those serving communion just to prepare themselves. If you're online, go ahead and grab a cracker and a wafer. The worship band's going to come on now. And I, I just want to pray with you for a moment. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then we'll be out of here in just a moment. Let's, let's pause. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. I, God, I want to say personally, and I think... Everyone in this room would want to say the same thing. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for loving us when we have been really unloving. <laughs> Thank you for being gracious towards us when we are not gracious even to other people. Thank you for giving us mercy instead of wrath. God, uh, we pray right now about our heart condition. Friends, if this is, helps you, if this is where you're at, you might want to say some of these words with me. Jesus, would you heal my heart? I want to love you first in this world. God, I pray, Jesus, that you would forgive me of some emotions that, I, that control me right now and I've used to damage other people in my life. Would you forgive me for the, the, just the, the stuff, the decisions, the actions that I've done that have distorted the way you've made me and put a barrier between you and me? Would you give me grace? I need grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.